This podcast is part of the Game and Entertainment Network. Visit tgenetwork.net to find the latest episodes from all our shows. You're listening to Contains Moderate Peril, an independent podcast about gaming, movies, and popular culture. Written and presented by Roger Edwards. Hello and welcome to the Contains Moderate Peril podcast, episode number 176. I'm your host, Roger Edwards, and joining me on the show this time are Hannah. Hello. And Chris. Greetings and hello. Coming up on this episode of Contains Moderate Peril, loot boxes, algorithms and making money. We'll be looking at the iniquities of game publishers and the way they generate revenue. Have you ever been outraged, shocked and offended by something you've seen on TV or in a movie or video game? Do you make it your business to research things beforehand or are you happy to go in blind and to hell with the consequences? And in light of EA's recent comments, is the future of gaming cooperative play? As ever, there's a lot to discuss, so without further ado, let's dive right in. Let's open up this episode of Contains Moderate Peril with a discussion about loot boxes, algorithms, and making money. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to get your head around the concept that games can cost quite a lot of money to develop, particularly if you're going for the AAA end of the market. But um, in recent years, there has been some major changes to the way games are sold, the pricing structure, the fact that we now have DLC and season passes, loot boxes has now sort of even permeated down to single player games. Then there's been this story in this week just gone that EA have even been tinkering with algorithms to try and group people together in multiplayer games to try and put people into groups where one party has a cash shop item that the other doesn't in the pious hope that when that person who doesn't have it is beaten, they will go, well, I really could have done with having that item. I'll go and buy it. I personally think that the whole financing and costing and payment systems in gaming at the moment is a bit messed up. So we're now going to have a chat about it to see <laughs> where we can go from here. Can we put it right? Is there a way to put it back right? Or is this just basically capitalism working as normal? So guys, are you happy paying top dollar for a triple a game or do you make it your business not to i have thoughts but they vary on this one because in some ways it depends on the quality of the game and what they're offering so say uh, a game like civilization 6 comes out and you think oh that's a great game but i'm not sure say $60 is too i can't remember how much it was on launch but say $60 and it's just like no I don't want to play, pay that. And then they're charging for extra DLCs if you want to pay, play as this country, this leader. And it's and you sort of you look for a sale, and it doesn't quite get low enough. But it's it's still you recognise the quality, and it's sort of like 
trying to toss up whether it's worth the money or it's not. So when you hear about things like this patent, which obviously wouldn't really come into play in Civilization, for example, unless you're playing as this country and you get matched with somebody else and you completely just whoop their asses. But it's it's hard to discern without knowing what you're going into, what sort of um, value for money you're getting and how else they might try and milk you because if you've already paid $60 for a game you don't want to be then paying another $100, $200 for extra stuff. As far as I'm concerned, um, so I I do pre-order games still. I actually wrote about as much on a uh, on a uh, submitted uh, little op-ed piece uh, to another website, and it's just I when I make a decision to pre-order a game, generally sight unseen, it's because something about the experience that's being offered feels worthy of the money being asked. Uh, uh, like, for example, a game like World of Final Fantasy. I, I had never even heard of that game before, but it it had adorable characters, it had Final Fantasy nostalgia notes, and it looked like an old-school Final Fantasy game. Those were good enough reasons for me to buy in. Uh, but a game like, for example, Civilization VI, uh, to kind of bounce off Hannah's uh, ex- example, it's it's a strategy game for somebody who is an absolute idiot when it comes to strategy and thinking and tactics. So that doesn't really carry nearly as much value for $60, but maybe if it was like 20 or something like that, maybe I would at least be willing to try it out. Uh, so it's, it's all about what the game looks like it may offer. And admittedly, there are a couple of times where pre-ordering does burn me because after I've pre-ordered I start learning hey uh, you know these loot boxes are literally including power or or you know there's some some competitive mode nonsense that's going to be the focus of development from here on out or something to that effect so it's it's but at the same time I f- try to I guess maybe justify in my own head that I've spent my money wisely as well as focus on the experience that I bought into to begin with. So it's it's uh, it's why I've subscribed to a bunch of MMOs, uh, why I subscribed to Wildstar from the very start, because even though it was focusing on raids and other experiences, I was no- focused on the world it was creating, for example. When I, uh, when I ended up buying into um, the Kickstarter for... For uh, uh, what was that? The the repopulation. I I thought, okay, well, you know what? It seems like a pretty small amount of money to quote gamble on, and a sandbox experience that I'd never had before when I was growing up and playing MMORPGs. And I tried it. It was miserable, but I helped bring a game somebody else likes to life. It's 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 rationalization for sure, but it's it's also. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's all a personal preference, in my opinion. Whether something holds value or not, it's never going to be anything more than a personal preference to me. Indeed. I mean, this is something we touched on in the last episode of Contains Moderate Peril about when we're talking about early adopters or whether you wait 12 months and then just pick it up as part of a bundle at only $15. Sometimes you're not just paying for the to be 
to buy the game. You're not just buying the pre-order. You want to be part of the buzz, the community, the atmosphere that surrounds that game when it actually launches. You want to be Absolutely. part. Yeah, agreed yeah. completely. Destiny 2, you want to be there when it kicks off. I recently started playing Shadow of War, which I pre-ordered months ago, and I bought the top tier of the game, which I must say now, hideously overpriced. And what you actually get and how it pans out, it's not that great a value. However, I did get to go in on the launch of the day with everything that's available, with with pretty much everything that's unlocked. Mm -hmm. But to then just put that into perspective, if you hadn't bought that, you would have bought two-thirds of a game. There's literally content that is essential to the game that is stripped out and gated behind a different tier. And if you don't pay for it, you are hobbled. And that bothers the hell out of me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. I completely agreed. I, I mean, I don't want to pay full tort for something and then learn later that I've been hosed out of an experience or or uh, uh, items or even quests, for example. Like, you know, things that you can experience that would otherwise be part of the game normally that you have to pay a, a pass for. That that I don't I'm not definitely not encouraging and, and saying that's a good thing <laughs> by any stretch. That's that's garbage. It's hundred percent garbage. Yeah, I think also on that point, um, Assassin's Creed Origins, which I think is coming out this week. I forget when it comes out, but basically they have, if you pre-order, there's like a bonus mission. And I'm not sure if you can buy it later on, but the idea that you are locking actual content behind a pre-order, that rubs me the wrong way. That game looks fantastic. But if I miss out on content because I don't currently have the money to pre-order it, that doesn't sit right with me. It was particularly egregious in that example because I saw several sort of articles relating to that game. And they weren't just selling you the fact, they were actually positively crowing and bragging about it. You know, buy it now or you'll miss out. And that's just, frankly, I think a little bit insulting. It's arrogant as hell, for sure. Yeah, without question. It's it's not even it's not even like trying to be cute about it at that point. Yeah, it's just preying on people that don't have the money and think, oh, but then I'll miss out on that, and ugh, it's horrible. You just it annoys me a lot. <laughs> Understandably so. I can understand why this would upset many people for multiple reasons. Let's. Because we are all here gamers of a certain age group, and we'll be quite flexible about that age group, but we're not embryos. Yeah, what'd um, you say? What? <laughs> <laughs> Let's cast our mind back to the good old days, you know, oh, this terrible thing that you now get into when you refer to the good old days, where you just bought a game outright, and that was it. You owned it. You you had the game. There wasn't any additional content coming. You just bought the game. And if there was an expansion coming within 18 months' time, then you just paid separately for that. It has changed so radically in the space of about five to ten years. I lay a lot of this down to free-to-play in the MMO because what worked in the MMO industry has now bled down into other types of game, the co-op games, the first-person shooters, the single-player RPGs. At one point, everybody looked at the success of free-to-play MMOs, which was circa 2010, and thought, ooh, I want a piece of that. 
and yeah. it did it fundamentally changed things and we superficially we jumped on this as customers and thought yeah this is good yeah i don't have to buy it. i can try before i buy but it seems to have the tables have been turned now or do you feel otherwise i think um also there's a lot of blame to be put on uh like mobile gaming and facebook games so things like farmville and clash of clans and candy crush and all those sorts of games because they were absolutely massive and they had all these tiny little microtransactions and the way developers look at that and go oh oh they're making a lot of money doing that we should try something like that oh look it's working mm, yeah let's do that yeah i don't think free to play is the root cause it's certainly a pretty large symptom of a greater disease certainly but i I think it's part of a, a, a facet, a facet of an entirely bigger problem with AAA development because costs are soaring. Uh, going back to your talk about the good old days, the the I got to believe, and I'm I'm coming completely from a, a realm of assumption on this, so I could be wildly wrong, but I got to believe the dev kits for an SNES or an NES were not really very expensive. And the teams developing a lot of the classic games were small, like uh, a couple of dozen people at most, maybe. And so the costs, the, the, the uh, you know, the money on, uh, re the uh, return on investment for games of that age was a lot higher. And so at the same time, they had to, make sure a game was more complete because there's no way to once it's shipped it's shipped that's it it's it's uh, it's it's literally set in stone of a sort or set in chips as a way but anyway so so free to play has certainly made it easier for them to kick out an unfinished game uh, the proliferation of the internet has definitely helped because now they know there is ways for people to kick out additional patches and day one patches from the very start and a game like candy crush or mobile gaming and stuff like that where they i gotta believe that the dev time on a game like that was pretty minimal because of how re repetitive and 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 simplistic it's uh it's mechanics are there was not a lot of time necessary to put that game together and so there's a lot more money to be made in something like that it's so i don't i don't i don't, I don't completely agree that free to play has been the start it's just a part of the problem yeah is it an inevitability that because we are living in a world that is subject to not particularly robustly regulated capitalism that it's the nature of all leisure industries to go down this road. I hope not. I definitely hope not. <laughs> I'm sorry, go on. We used to have a music industry that at one point was driven by sales of records, you know, physical vinyl. And then long came the digital age and blew that business model out of the water. So now they've had to adapt and now if you want to be successful in the music industry it's about the touring it's about the the physical appearances it's about selling people multiple versions of one particular track because there's remixes there's different versions of it it's about gating content it's about merchandise 
and that seems now to have sort of bled through and blighted the sort of the, the gaming industry now that the gaming industry is about gating content it's about not being content with just selling a product to somebody once um, you know, it happens with movies as well. You don't just buy the theatrical cut. There's the extended edition of the director's cut, the guy who did the cleanings cut. You know, it's... <laughs> there's just so many opportunities to try and resell your product or to continue that financial cycle. So when you release something, it's not just a one hit, you've paid, that's it, move on to the next product. Do you not feel that this is just something that it's the nature of the actual market itself that forces this upon all things or do you feel that maybe there's a way to beat it i think that in some ways yes um what it's interesting you mentioned the music industry i watched a very interesting video on youtube a few months back now but it was talking about how the music industry has changed and how all songs nowadays sound the same and that it's not just your imagination that the amount of money like years and years ago you had to put put music out and you would be taking a risk over whether people liked it and latched onto it or not but nowadays you hear those songs everywhere and they all have these repetitive hooks repetitive lyrics and they all sound very similar to each other and you hear them everywhere you go and it's constantly thrown in your face and you get it with movie trailers and even TV trailers and so on and it's just it's because the amount of money they're putting in and the amount I, I think there's a little bit of greed in there as well like they want to get their money back they put all this stuff out and they make sure that you are listening to it and buying into it and it is a problem I think there are some areas that show some promise which are particularly in like indie music indie games but there's something there that just mm, it doesn't it doesn't feel nice yeah, begrudgingly, I will admit, that does seem to be the way that the entertainment industry is going. But at the same time, I can't say I'm super ultra-shocked by it. Disney has literally uh, made its money on rehashing its crap. How many adverts have you seen of them reissuing an old movie as, like, coming back from the Disney vault? It's the... You know, it's... Yeah, so that, <laughs> they've always yeah. done that. They've been very shrewd. They've been pioneers in some respects, yeah. Well, without question, yeah. They've been the trailblazers in rehashing and repackaging the same crap. So this isn't super surprising, unfortunately. No. But I, it's... Whether it's... Uh, uh, a result of people being greedy, the cost of production going up, or what? I don't know. It's it's maybe it's a bit from column A and column B. Uh, probably more from the greedy part than anything else. But I also think it's really just them seeing how far they can go. Right? They're they're finding the envelope. This this the uh, the loot box thing that's being pushed back in the UK, or at least was attempted to. Uh, the the rules that were instated by the Isle of Man, which I didn't even know existed up until I was uh, doing research about it. Hmm. Uh, it's, and now with this algorithms uh, matter coming up, like loot boxes are finally coming into 
a spotlight that wasn't really there before. So I think finally people are starting to get fed up with all the pushing. Now, whether that will ultimately lead to some changes or a little bit of scale back, or if the companies in question have to just simply bide their time and wait for the Twitter uh, outrage to boil over and then pass on to the next, you know, uh, a viral topic then it's it's really hard to say for sure but i i do admit a gr- unfortunately it does feel like entertain the entertainment industries in general in gaming and music and movies are are going that route an awful lot i don't like to admit it i don't like it i'm definitely not, not a fan but it's mm-hmm. it does feel that it's been heading that way for a while now we're just now friggin noticing the ride for some reason i don't know I think we noticed it, but it wasn't as bad. And now that it's being so blazingly obvious, it's sort of like... It's pervasive, for sure, yeah. It's absolutely... It. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's pervasive. It's... Um, the, the, the moment you first hear about a product, a game about to launch, like, what's, what's the next bullet point that you see on that little final title card at the end of the video is like pre-order now pre-order yeah. now season pass blah 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 yeah you, you keep on seeing things like that and it's it's just ingrained now it's expected it's it's happened so often it's been drilled into your face so frequently that it's it doesn't even cause a blink of an eye anymore no no at the same at the same time, you know the game of the year edition is going to come out at some point. So if you want to wait for a sale <laughs> on the whole package, great. If you are prepared to do that, then you have sort of game the system. You will get everything in not even twelve months time. Sometimes in nine months. Yeah, time. exactly. And it's the fault of people pushing these loot boxes and algorithms and pre-orders and season passes. If that's the way it's going to go, then people are going to go. Okay, then I'll wait for the game of the year edition and get it in a Steam sale. Uh, to that point, I do want to apologize to everybody listening for pre-ordering video games because I'm probably part <laughs> of the problem. Well, so am I because you know I pre-ordered Shadow of War, as I just admitted. But however, let's counter that. You still get um, developers like Ninja Theory who who basically turn around and say we don't need publishers. Hmm. British video game developers, Rebellion, have now ditched their publishers they self-publish and as a result their games are more reasonable well, look at hellblade swenna's sacrifice which has been moderately successful where they put it out for what 30 dollars but it is up to an incredibly high standard that game it's been critically well received it's been well received by the fans but because they bypassed the big publishing company they managed to put it out at what i deem to be a a considerate measured and sensible price and it's on my wish list and i will hopefully pick it up over the christmas season and play for it i have checked that game out and it does feel like a triple a game it's really cuphead is another example of that yeah and 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 even nintendo okay one of the largest video companies and video game companies of the world they are recognizing like in a in a very hands-off manner that with their ninties uh uh, lineup. They they give them a platform and they obviously use their spotlight, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like they're they're forcing any sort of publication like uh, publication nonsense like EA would do, for example, or Ubisoft. Or it, it does feel 
or Xbox. It doesn't feel as invasive for some reason. So there is a way to do this without hosing people as hard and fast as possible. It's it's absolutely being done, and people are recognizing that. They're probably recognizing that more now with uh, Battlefront 2, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2's oh. loot box noise and, and the uh, Activision algorithm thing and uh, all the... Uh, all this focus on loot boxes in modern games and MMOs and stuff like that. It, it's, it, it, I think people are now starting to realize that there are alternatives. And so hopefully, ideally, that means that they'll be able to back up some of those smaller things like a Senua's Sacrifice or a Cuphead or something to that effect. Yeah, I think um, Sony are also in that camp. They do quite a bit of good with... Uh, Little games like um, Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, like you mentioned earlier, World of Final Fantasy, and um, snatching up Kojima when he was let go, and there's lots of little things, I say little, lots of big things they're doing which don't feel quite as icky as, like, say, Xbox or EA and Activision and so on. While we're on the subject of loot boxes, I mean, which is a big subject, possibly a podcast in itself, but there is now pushback, quite a lot of pushback, because they are bleeding through to mainstream games. I mean, I usually have associated loot boxes with MMOs first and then pushing it down to co-op games, but finding them now in single-player games certainly is egregious. Mm. The main argument that is usually levelled against them is an argument that's couched in gambling terms. But the main problem that I see is games are international and there is no international consensus on gambling. There are parts of Europe and parts of the UK that are very open-minded and accommodating to gambling. There are parts of the US that are not. There are other countries in the world that are quite robust in their shall we say, dislike of gambling, but then you go to China and surrounding regions and it's an endemic part of their culture. So you're going to have a problem there because if there is legislation, for example, in the UK that suddenly says, oh, the loot boxes in Shadow of War are unacceptable, all it means is the developers, Warner, well, the publishers, Warner Brothers, would just say, okay, we won't publish that game in the UK. Yeah. So just so instead of actually solving the problem, you just stiff ten million potential fans. It's it's a very contentious subject when you think of it that way because you've got to consider. I mean, it's also like, for example, I believe it's a lot of most Muslims. It's completely against their religion, for example. So you're going to have a lot of sort of Middle Eastern countries where you just cannot publish those sorts of games because it's got that in it. Um, but also, it's you. You have to recognise that obviously it's a thing now, and whether we like it or not, if they suddenly stop putting the loot boxes in there, others aren't, and they're going to lose out. And then chances are the the good guys who are like, oh okay, we don't you don't like loot boxes, so we're going to stop doing that. Then they're the ones that are going to suffer, and that's where it it gets awkward because you don't want to see the good guys go away and the Activisions and the EAs to win, but... 
Yeah, people are looking people are looking way too hard for a magic bullet. They think that labeling it as gambling is immediately gonna cast a blanket of misery and and, and make every loot box look as god awful as it does. And and to a point I can understand why people would look at a loot box as a gambling machine. But it's it's definitely a lot I agree. It's one hundred percent more complex than that. It's it's uh regulation of some sort ought to be done um frankly i'd much rather if you're gonna have a cash shop i always prefer and enjoy the ones that let you buy things a la carte as opposed to hiding really all the sexy pretty stuff or even progression stuff behind a a, a, ch a chance cube um but calling it gambling seems it's 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 trying to oversimplify a much more complex problem. Simple question. Sometimes the simplest questions are the best questions. How would you like to pay? I mean, giving some thought to the nature of the fact that, as you said earlier, the pair of you, you're cognizant of what sort of game you're buying. So if it's a massive, huge, big budget game, cost might be x if it's a small indie title the cost might be y so how would you like to pay for a game if they offered you a choice would you would you like to be presented with a situation where they said pay what you think this game is worse or no because that opens up way too much opportunity for people to take advantage yeah, I agree. I, I don't I don't mind the cost of a game if I feel that it's it's offering experience that I'm looking for. Like 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 going back to my earlier point about why I pre-order certain games. I feel that it's offering the sort of experience that I'd be comfortable with paying $60 for and even admittedly if I like the game enough and they add the right kind of or type of DLC, then I will actually purchase the DLC. It's just a so I don't think making people pay what they want is really a great idea either. Um, I would just rather that they didn't immediately make it so obvious that they haven't developed a complete game. Uh, so yeah. again, going back to the point of a season pass, before the game is even launched, they're talking about a season pass and extra DLC nonsense. So that immediately tells you we're kicking out a half-baked cookie, and if you pay $20, we'll hand you the blowtorch to finish the job. So it's if you would to release the DLC later on... That would, I think, maybe go down a little bit better, or at least seem certainly less skeevy. Uh, to me, anyway. I could, I don't know. I think a half-baked cookie sounds a lot more delicious than a blowtorched one, personally, but that's just me. <laughs> well, that was... Yeah, I agree. No, I like soft <laughs> cookies myself. But anyway. <laughs> but you get, you get the point, though, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it very much depends, doesn't it, on, on the company. I mean, again, I'm going to go back to my example of Rebellion, but they don't have a publisher. They self publish mm. so when sniper elite 4 came out this spring if you bought the base game you got a campaign that had a comprehensive story when you bought the dlc for the season pass it was a separate story you didn't play through the dlc and go hello this fills in all the plot holes you just strip this out of the game it was separate so you can have both 
but you can have just one if you want to buy the bare bones version of the game. You're not getting cheated out of anything. Exactly. It's a separate additional bonus, which in this particular example was very, very, very good. Shadow of War, I would argue, is not quite the, that. It's the opposite. It's They literally have developed a full game and then looked at what they can pair out and sell to you additionally, and that is just demonstrably wrong in my book. Yeah, I agree. I, I'd say probably expansions rather than DLC. If you say an expansion, when you think of it in MMO terms, you can, well, technically, you don't have to play the bit before it to understand what's going on, but obviously you have to, to level up. But you get the idea there that it's a separate story and you can just play it. So if you have that in a video game, like, I can, again, the only one I can think of is like Warcraft 3. You would buy the expansions for it, but these days you get downloadable content, which is always the extra missions that fill in the story or explain something that really didn't make sense and all that kind of thing. And there's still games that are coming out that I don't feel are really being aggressive with the DLC. Wolfenstein the New Colossus, it's, it seems like a absolutely completely 100% full game. I'm almost positive they're going to have some sort of expansion or DLC later down the line, but they aren't beating you in the face with a season pass offer before the thing even comes out. They're telling you, this is the game we have. This is what comes, well, this is the sign of experience you're going to have. There you go. It's, it's, it feels, again, that goes back to my point. It, it would be easier for me to swallow the cost of a game if you didn't outright tell me there's going to be a season pass. If you didn't say there's going to be DLC later down the line or even a pre-order bonus. I never pre-order a game because I want the pre-order shiny. I want I want to pre-order a game because I like the base experience that's being offered to me. Yeah. And to go back to the um like how I would want to buy a game, I think when it comes down to pre-orders, I will pre-order a game, well, obviously if I can afford it, but also if I think that it's it's something I definitely want to play right away. It's something that I think is worth the money. So in this case, it would be, are they trying to shill me out of everything I'm worth and so on? Yeah. And is it a company I want to support? Because if it's if it ticks off all those sorts of boxes, then I'm going to go, well, yeah, okay, I'm actually okay with pre-ordering that. But if they start saying okay but then there's going to be these loot boxes that give you these weapons that are going to make your experience so much easier and if you pre-order now you'll get this mission and then I'm going to go hmm no I'll wait for a sale because I don't want to give that particular company quite as much money so in a sense I guess I am paying what I think it's worth I'm just waiting for the sale to happen. That's an interesting point that how you feel towards the company the publisher probably maybe more than developer or you know or a bit of both but just perception if you felt that you've been burnt in the past you are somewhat reticent because i've had a good experience two years in a row or several years in a row with rebellion they've got strange brigade coming out soon which is a, a co-op shooting up and it's an interesting little period set game and i'm just thinking i'm prepared to give that a punt because they haven't stuck it to me yeah if you know what you're going to get from them you think hmm yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. But there are other companies that have treated me and other gamers poorly, and I will bear that in mind, and I will bear a grudge. But this does 
bring me on to the final point. What as gamers can we do? Because everybody always says, I'll vote with your wallet. But sometimes it's not quite as easy as that. No, because not everybody listens to that, so it doesn't work. There aren't enough people listening to that advice, for sure. Absolutely. And and to be absolutely honest with anybody listening, I don't listen to that advice either. I know I shouldn't <laughs> be pre-ordering games technically, can't freaking help it sometimes man i got poor i got poor self-control i'll be the first to tell you i have bought loot boxes and mmos so i can't i can't sit here on any sort of pious throne saying thou shalt not get a (laughs) pre-order no matter how shiny the gun is because i have gotten pre-orders not because the shiny gun but because i like the base game that's being offered but at the same time so, so if I think the best tool is what's kind of being done now, the discussions, the rational discussions anyway, making it a conversation topic, making it constantly in the spotlight of everybody watching or reading. If, if, it's, if there is enough noise made and enough light cast on the practices then the developers and especially the publishers are going to be like, okay, we found the freaking line. Maybe we should step back a few paces. That's what I think is probably the best method, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And as much as I go on about angry Redditors, if <laughs> a lot of times the developers go there and they listen. If all of a subreddit is really, really angry about something then chances are they are going to see that and either they will react with, oh, Reddit's just a trash fire, or they're going to go, oh, okay, maybe we should do something here. Like, for example, No Man's Sky, people who pre-ordered that game were pissed. And rightfully so, as having been one of those people, it was was an incomplete and overhyped title. But now it's gotten better because they paid attention to all of the noise that was being made. And granted, it would have been nicer if pe- it was. De- it would definitely be nicer if people would actually, you know, if before you were allowed an internet connection, you were required to take a debate course. <laughs> now that's the size of the point. Yeah. I mean, it's if it would be nice if people would voice their dis displeasure better, but yeah. that was what ultimately turned something like No Man's Sky around because it was over and over and over constantly brought up about how it's not what it was offered on the tin. And now they've got it to a point where it's a good game now because of all that noise. So that yeah. really is the best method. The only trouble is with a game like that, it comes down to it's too little too late because so much noise was made that people think of it as, oh, it's that crap space game that left everybody down, even though it has changed a lot. Yeah, first impressions definitely make a good point. But at the same time... but. So to that point, then, the counter to that would be, if it's doing well, make noise the fact that it's gotten to a better place. If you're going to bitch and raise a, rage about a game that's crap from the launch, you should approach things you like that have improved after the fact with just as much fervor. Yeah, that then comes down to people on the internet need to poss- possibly sometimes look at the positives sometimes, and that's a completely different conversation. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast, I suspect. Yeah. yeah. But 
I would say there is one modern internet trend that does work to everyone's advantage. Everybody's happy to be a complete asshole these days, yep. <laughs> but no one likes to be called one. Yep. And that is a very good point of leverage. I mean, the moment you say to someone, you've done something really dickish, here's the evidence, and I'm going to shout this from the rooftops. It's like, I don't want to be called a dick, but you are a dick. That's not the point. I don't want to be called a dick. <laughs> and it is a real intellectual vulnerability that a lot of institutions have these days. And I, I think that is the case. If you do organize and provide some sort of comprehensive and quite robust continuous pushback, Let's not have any death threats. Let's not have any hyperbole. But if you give reasoned, forceful, sincere pushback, it does make them eventually, hopefully, take a few steps back. And then they will dial it down a bit because that seems to be the Achilles heel. Everyone wants the benefits of being a money-grabbing bastard, but nobody actually wants to be labelled a money-grabbing bastard. Precisely. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. Well, I'm sure this particular discussion is not going to go away. I cannot see the video games industry, particularly the AAA video <laughs> game industry, to use the Mr. Sterling terminology. He's not going to get his house in order overnight. But I, I, I do think it's a cyclical situation. And sooner or later, they will just find that being excessively capricious and, and difficult as far as selling bonuses and pay to win, it's going to come round and bite them on the bum eventually, and they will have to moderate their situation. I bloody hope so. Here's a little topic that's been on my mind for a while. It regularly comes back like a bad penny. We shall call it Read the Label. We live in an age now where if you want to know about a product, there's an unparalleled amount of information that you can access easily. So if there is a new TV show, if there is a new movie in the theatres, you don't just turn up, blithely wander in, and then turn around and say, I'm watching a movie called How I Won World War Two." Bless my soul, Governor, it's about the Second World War, as if that's some sort of revelation. <laughs> Simple fact is, we live in an age now where you should have a particularly good heads up if a TV show or a movie is going to have content that you don't care for or is going to offend you. Yet, even still, in this internet age, we still live in a time where tabloids will habitually kick out stories about... Oh, there was an excessive amount of violence in the debut episode of such and such a show. Or oh, there was horrendous, shocking sexual content in this show. Or so-and-so flashed their nipples. Or, oh, poor blimey governor, I copped a bit of bush in that one. And it just really, really flabbergasts me that this is still a thing. Mm. Or is it? Or is it really just simply a self-indulgence of the press but it has got me thinking and I was just thinking to myself well in Netflix this is a new form really of sort of relatively speaking of um, allowing consumers access to um, TV shows and I do realise there was a couple of shows recently on Netflix there was one recently about that tackled the subject of suicide and some people were a little bit shocked about the content uh, 13 reasons why 
That's it. Yes. And it just, you know, again, just made me cognizant of this subject. And I just thought, what do you guys do when there is a TV show on something new, something that you are interested in? Do you do any research or do you go in blind? Have you ever been shocked or have you been shocked recently? How do you address this point? Because let's face it, we do now live in times that are radically different from the 70s. Even in mainstream network television, quite a lot of things go now. Uh, I actually, on the topic of 13 Reasons Why, yeah. I, obviously, I go in and I tend to read like a vague description because I don't want to get spoiled. Um, but the whole premise of that show is the girl commits suicide and then leaves behind tapes for uh, all the reasons why she ended up coming to this conclusion in the end, which was a whole different issue, but I'm not going to get into that one, because that's a dark path to go down, but the ending was particularly quite shocking, because it can... It, basically, there were scenes of sexual assault and how she actually did kill herself and it wasn't it it was graphic the only trouble is you know that it's going that way and they do have content warnings at the beginning of the episode so you, if you're going to start complaining about that then you've got different problems i think to put it lightly yeah, it definitely feels a little more self-indulgent. Now, to be fair, I mean, an expectation can certainly be made in advance of a show by if you just take things at face value from its advertising or or the imagery that's released prior to the show's premiere or something like that. Um, but it doesn't feel nearly as bad much of a bugbear as perhaps these tabloids would make it out to be. Now, personally, I don't really do an awful lot of research on TV programs. I actually uh, went into a, a, the show Vikings completely blind without mm -hmm. any sort of thought about it whatsoever. And that show is a brutal bastard of a show. <laughs> but I also was... I mean, I was all reasonably okay-ish with it because, for one, it's it's a story about Vikings and how you know they're they're a brutal they're a brutal bastard race. So, uh, race. Yeah. I'm sorry, a uh, brutal bastard uh, group of people for the time. Culture. So I was yeah, culture. Thank you. That's the word. Yay, <laughs> culture. But uh, it's it's um. So I don't go into it. So I, for TV, I do come in a little bit blind and because I guess I don't feel I'm risking anything in terms of money. Uh, for a movie, I like to see trailers and I want to see a little bit more before I purchase a movie ticket because I'm paying a little more than I would to sit on my ass for two hours, two and a half hours. And I want to be sure that that sitting on the ass will be enjoyable. So I, I want to get a little more information ahead of that. Mm. Uh, but in either case, for films or for television shows, I, I don't I don't think it's nearly as as shocking as as tabloids and make it out to be. It's certainly not nearly as damaging. Indeed, and I, I think it's the passage of time. I can remember controversial television shows in the seventies. And and certain scenes really polarising public opinion because it was straying into new territory. But in the last week, we've just had 
um, on the BBC in the UK, the first episode of Gunpowder, which is about the gunpowder plot. And because it's centred around the historical times of Catholics being persecuted, it's pretty obvious going into it what the historical backdrop is, and therefore they used to burn people alive and publicly torture them. It might well feature in the show. So if you had shown that in the 70s, people might have freaked out. But now, because we've had this continuous drip-drip of upping the ante in all mediums of what you can and cannot show. To me, anyone who just turned on the show blind and went into it, particularly in light of the fact that it was on after the watershed, which is a point that I will come on to into a moment. Um, to, to, to my mind, they were just on a hiding to nothing. It, it, you know, it's foolish in the UK to watch anything blind after a certain time and then be outraged by it because we have this concept of the watershed. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of uh, brief outrage with uh, 13 Reasons Why in the U.S. as well. There were a lot of people who were um, terrified or freaked out by it because they were surprised that a show about somebody who was suicidal would feature such things. But at the same time, there was also in the same report that I'd seen, for example, uh, there was also people who their children were watching it. Because, of course, the news report says, should your child watch this television program? And, and, and then, it, of course, it started off, it led in with the whole outrage about a suicidal uh, main character. But then it also sort of brought up the point, well, there's these folks, these parents who recognized their child watching it and they used it as a teaching tool. So they were able yeah. to sort of use that as a launch pad for a discussion about a topic that probably would never come up at the dinner table normally. So it's it's uh, it definitely feels more uh, hand-picked, that, that outrage for sure. It, it really feels cherry-picked to me. I'll also bring back to the point of tabloids drumming up... Um outrage and drama and stuff they're very much gearing towards a certain type of person in the population and there's another point in the population who won't go near those tabloids because that's all they do is just publish a load of bullshit to not to mince my words or anything because tabloids are actual garbage mostly the other big outrage in the last seven days, according to the tabloids in the UK, was um, it, we're in season two of Victoria in the UK, which is a dramatisation, spookily enough, about Queen Victoria. And there's two guys kissing, and you just think, fucking 2017. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, actually, it was funny reading the comments on the actual website that was looking to actually use this as a point of controversy, because something like... 80 to 85, maybe even 90% of the comments on it were, so what, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a really great scene. They're nice. They're a nice couple. What's the problem? And it sort of like blew back on them in a way because they were just using it as a way of agitating and, and just trying to get eyes. You know, it was clickbait, basically. Oh, and, yeah. and, it, and I, I just thought, you know, they are really behind the times on this, you know. There's a lot of that in, in fandoms as well. I mean, you've got the, the female doctor for Doctor Who coming up. There's myriad people who are trying to raise a shit stink about that. And then 
I should think at least twice as many people just verbally slapping these idiots down. Like, just shut the hell up, dude. Come on, really? It's 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 the doctor. She can be female if she wants to. Missy was freaking awesome. Let's see what this person can do. Just shut up. Yeah, and then I also have the whole concept of and and why is this still a thing with most of these controversies? Like, who the hell cares? They're fictional characters. Get over it. Okay, I know the two in Victoria technically aren't fictional characters, but it is a dramatization at the end of the day, and they can do what they want. Yeah, yeah. I just want to return to this um, issue of the watershed. In the UK, because the UK is a single time zone, which is, I think, a very important aspect of this particular mm -hmm. point, there is this informal agreement between most television networks in the UK that you keep content down to a family-friendly-ish level to about six o'clock. It then gets a little bit broader between six and eight, but nine o'clock, it's like, okay, the seven-year-olds should be in bed now. The gloves are off. You can say fuck yeah. now. Yes, and it is that. You know, Even on mainstream networks like the BBC, that is the rule of thumb. Yeah. The watershed means if this, if this is a drama that's going out in eight eight o'clock at night it will be subtly different from a drama that's going out at 10 o'clock at night mm -hmm. but i understand that this concept of the watershed is going to be a lot more difficult to implement in a country like the us that straddles multiple time zones because it means you've either got a stagger the broadcasting or you've got to shove it on the program at midnight to make sure it's not on too early for the west coast as it were or you can use the modern invention of the the streaming service such as Netflix and forego the whole trouble of it being on too early because you have the age restrictions on them already. Yes, there is that. But then even in the times of digital platforms, you're still getting very large audiences for watching traditional live broadcast television in the UK. Yeah. Well, that happens here in the States plenty of times. I mean, there's, there's always... Something, uh, an advert for a show where it says it's going to be on at 6, 5 central. So they do stagger it. They break it up hour by hour across the four time zones in the country. So it's, it's, it's that there is definitely a watershed period for the U.S. Around 8, 8 o'clock is when the, the heavier stuff, so to speak, hits the broadcast. So you've got like the the night the, the local news and nightly news or the national news at 6 and 6:30, game shows for an hour and then 8 o'clock you've got your primetime television, your dramas, your your uh, crime shows, stuff like that. And and that staggers hour by hour across the country based on time zone. It's it's nowhere near as bad. Uh, now it's it's a little more complex for channels like HBO or Netflix for or Netflix or uh, Showtime for example being cable shows yeah exactly so 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 there's a little more staggering there but at the same time it's it doesn't it it's really not as big of an issue as it maybe was back in the day i think it's it's pretty much balanced itself out i've i've not heard a lot about how somebody on the West Coast saw something shocking on television uh, in literally years, I don't think. It's been a while. I think Netflix is making it a little more challenging, but ultimately it's, it's not as big of an issue. Certainly not in this country. 
I just pictured some little old lady fainting somewhere. <laughs> and then the footage of her crashing to the floor and her false teeth flying out being used <laughs> on some sort of reality show. <laughs> Entitled when senior citizens pass out and injure themselves. Exactly. <laughs> We live in a time where if you want information on things, you've got it at the push of a button. And the MPAA, the, the, the BBFC in the UK, there are other regulatory organisations in Europe, they rate movies. So you don't just turn up and go, oh, I wasn't expecting for him to have his pancreas pulled out through his tear duct. You know, it's usually... <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That's the, probably not yeah. funny, but it was funny. Yeah, there's, there's usually an indicator in the rating and some of the sort of like the arbitrary sort of publicity material and stuff. I mean, yet we still regularly get people complaining about. I, I think the biggest issue, the, the issue of our time is the PG-13 rating in the US. The fact that it's this nice in the middle rating that means that you can have a few profanities you can shoot people you can have a certain amount of bloodshed as long as it's not dwelt on excessively so it covers a lot of ills it means you can bring the kiddies along but you don't have to kiddify the material mm. but you're still not getting the adult experience of an r movie and yeah. it's it's become the de rigueur rating everything is made towards securing that and i'm worrying if it's somehow skewing perceptions Probably. I mean, the the movie rating is when I see, you know, a, a trailer for a film and I see rated R starts Friday, you know, I don't even really pay attention to the rating anymore. Honestly, I I've already digested the majority of what's coming in a film from the trailer alone. The rating can kind of get a general baseline, but I've, I don't think it's holds nearly the amount of weight that like the uh, ESRB ratings do, for example. Because you see a mm -hmm. game with a T for Teen rating, and yeah, you can sort of have an idea, but then you've got all these little uh, these little bullet points on the back of the box that itemize why it got this and, and what could possibly, what is to be expected. You know, there's a PG-13 definitely feels, like you say, it's de rigueur. It's, it's not really as comprehensive it's not as robust of a rating and so i at least personally when i hear movie rated pg-13 i don't pay attention at all i really don't i've already i've it's it's just so blasé of a factoid that i don't even really think about it anymore although you and me do have the benefit of not being parents to worry about that uh well said. I was just about to introduce that element into <laughs> yeah. the conversation because you know that that's that's fine when you when you're a, an open-minded adult who can make an informed decision. That's fine. When you've got multiple children, I mean, the person that springs to mind is our good friend Braxworth, who's got a, you know a family that, of children that spans multiple ages, and you want to take on board a movie, but you have to consider it might be suitable at one end of the family, but whoa, if you've got younger children. And, you know, and I think those are the times when you suddenly start becoming more cognizant of it. I mean, in the UK, the, the British Board of Film Classification, they run a superb website. You, you check the rating and it's actually got a drop down box and it says if you click on this, you're going to get spoilers. But at least it would tell you as a parent, 
everything that goes down in that movie. Yeah. See, that'd be nice for for American films. That's for sure. That sounds. That's as uh, for parents. Then yeah, that would it would like I said. I would rather there be more robust uh, rating systems for parents to make a informed decision for sure. Uh, PG thirteen is way too broad. It's it's certainly more too frequently used uh, for for a lot of films now because that's what they that that's the biggest audience but you know, i i, I kind of really wish uh, that the mpaa had something like that that'd be nice and then of course as it's been touched on already the digital platforms now have now got this advantage where hey it's digital there are enforcements in place before we even start playing this episode you are the customer you've set up your account you can buy your children hence we had an episode of star trek this week where they said fuck (gasps) i was surprised (laughs) it's not a word it's not it's not a word you usually associate with star trek for sure yeah oh yes swear trek had something to say about that didn't they yeah (laughs) they did It wasn't said at a person. It was said in reference to something. They said, this is fucking cool. And I thought, if you're going to get away with it, don't use a profanity aggressively. That's not really Star Trek. But referring to science as being fucking cool, I'll give you that one. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's a pass, yeah. That's fair enough. <laughs> that's one of those, you could probably see this on after 9pm in the UK. Plus, we've had data saying shit. Ah. <gasps> We yes. did, yeah. We had it. It was in a... Oh God, what film was it? Uh, it was the feature film, Star Trek Generations, when Generations. they yeah, were, were going to crash yeah. the source section of the Enterprise, and it was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was a part of his character, though. Like, that was him developing... The, yeah. the character so it made sense it wasn't just tossed in there for the hell of it it wasn't used lightly it wasn't bandied about like like uh, every third word like in a game of thrones <laughs> it, <laughs> it had impact yeah um, where i uh, i want to go with this is to my mind i think we've now reached an age where certain things aren't controversial you might not like them but they're no longer controversial so I don't get outraged by certain situations being depicted in movies. What I, I don't like is anachronistic thinking being perpetuated. I'll give you an example. I recently caught up with Now You See Me, and then the same the following night I watched Now You See Me Too. Um, you know, I enjoyed the first movie. I didn't, didn't particularly care for the second one. But one of the things that I picked up on that I found quite jarring, and you can say that these are postmodern sensibilities, this is a modern film, but Woody Harrelson's character continuously hassles the female member of the cast in a sort of jokey, bantery way. But that's not the point. It's still reflecting something that actually I think is a little bit now, you shouldn't be doing that sort of shit. You shouldn't make comic relief from the fact that you're just... Con- continuously bandering with this woman because you want to sleep with her and you're badgering her yeah i was gonna say that um if it's just sort of saying this is what his character's like he's a bit of a dick he keeps doing this to women but if it's actually being used as comic relief that's a bit archaic yeah because it's sort of endorsing it in a way isn't it yeah it's sort of saying this is okay do this 
there are many, many romantic comedies from like the late 80s, early middle 90s that have that sort of idea that it, that persistence pays for some reason. Like, like, it, like women want to be worn down to the point where they just finally find you so dashing, even though you've been doing the same shit over and over. That kind of ties into the whole um, Me Too hashtag that's been going around social media this week and how women are saying, well, yeah, this is kind of a problem. And other people going, what? Shocked. Have either of you, in recent memory, watched anything or seen anything where it was something fairly innocuous and then they introduced something that actually made you think, no, I'm not happy with that? I think I have, but I can't bring it to memory right now. I can't immediately come up with something that f- that struck me as sort of jarring in that sense. I mean, I don't know. I've, I, admittedly, my consumption of TV and film has lessened pretty significantly. Mm. I, I mean, I don't know. I've never really been. I've never really felt felt that way. To be completely honest with you. Perhaps in anime, because uh, Japanese have a completely different outlook on all this, and you will get uh, young lads burying their heads in big boob ladies' chests and things okay, like that. Okay, yeah, no, you know what, that's 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 actually a good point. So, so there was something I did watch, uh, an anime called uh, Food Wars, I think. Um, that basically had a really interesting premise. It was a guy who was uh, wanting to, you know, take over for his father's restaurant, but then his father ends up just straight up selling the restaurant out from underneath his feet. And, And then he's forced to go into actual culinary school to learn cooking. Um, he does have a level of personal talent, uh, but... But he's his situation forces him into a culinary school, and the the way they actually did the cooking segments of the show were informed. They were entertaining. They were focused. This guy was challenged by somebody to make a pork roast without actually using meat to give the idea of or or not an actual pork roast to make to give the sensation of eating a pork roast without using a real pork roast and he used basically made like a, a loaf of mashed potatoes wrapped in bacon with like a certain sort of sauce to it to make it feel like it had the meatiness and taste of a pork roast see that would have been great on its own but over the course of the episode the characters, the female challenging characters' clothes blew off as a result of her being so delighted with the flavor of this freaking fake pork roast. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is... I mean, I get it was to, to, to hammer home a comedic effect. It was, oh my god, this, clo- this food is so incredible, my clothes are blown off. But it's... <laughs> But it wasn't necessary. It was it, everything about it was fine. It didn't need animated boobs in my damn face. It, it, it just it was unnecessary. And as much as I wanted to see what happened with the rest of the story, I didn't care anymore because I had anime TNA thrust in me when I didn't want it. I'm sorry for bringing up anime bullshit, Chris. 
It's a it's a podcast series in itself, anime bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. But it's so out of left field, and I guess I should have seen it coming because Japan and that's that's it's maybe a cultural thing, and I get what they were trying to do. It was supposed to be a comedic effect, but it just it was so superfluous. Like I was like, yeah. you're writing is good the characters are interesting the you know what you're talking about when it comes to making food you didn't need this a lot of them are like that as well so you do come across it sometimes if you watch that kind of thing i'm not ignorant to the idea of fan service but it just was out of nowhere that just makes me think of kenny everett and kenny everett popular tv comedian in the uk in the 70s and 80s very gangrel man with a beard who used to dress up as a Hollywood starlet whose nickname was Cupid Stunt. (laughs) (laughs) And she would always talk to the interviewer about her latest film and at the end of the plot she would say, and all my clothes fall off. (laughs) YouTube it, it will slowly make sense. He was was so sad I missed Kenny Everett. I really do need to watch his stuff. (laughs) I love Monty um, Python and the same sort of level of humour. But the fact that he got away with a character called Cupid Stunt <laughs> and that no one, no one in the BBC picked up on it. <laughs> That's hysterical in itself. That reminds me, that reminds me of the, uh, oh God, the, I, uh, that reminds me of this one thing I saw. I forget the name of the programme, but it, <laughs> it was like uh, the main character was talking to Patrick Stewart about what sort of superhero movie he would want to make. And, like, his superhero's power was literally all it was was just, like, two hours of his character making women's clothes fall off. <laughs> that was Ricky Gervais, and it was an episode of Extras. Oh. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was Extras. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> just seeing, like proper classically trained brilliant actor just this with this weaselly little smile about how everything every woman around him just suddenly loses their clothes it's just hilarious see there's this line when it comes to this sort of thing like you talked about um now you see me and now you see me too and how he was bothering the woman and then you get patrick stewart saying and then her clothes fell off and it's sort of like one of these things is okay because it's done right the other one sort of steps over the line and it's sort of like funny to see where the line is and it's really hard to explain if you're just yeah. it, but it just is it's kind of good when it works though and also for some people they wouldn't see the distinction with for the two they'd say well woody harrelson's being funny and so's patrick stewart they wouldn't sort of necessarily yeah. agree with you that there was a distinction between the two it's always in the delivery yes and and what as as Reginald D. Hunter said, the comedian, whether you say it with hate in your heart. Yes. Well said. That is my, I, I've taken his lesson on board and that is my, my benchmark now. You know, it, you can sometimes say a joke that is a bit controversial, but it's, it's how you, what your nuance is, where you're coming That's from. It. But just to quickly wrap this up, because I just want to come to this point. It's, I think it's a good way to wrap it up. Context is everything. We now live, hopefully, I mean, in um, Trump era, even now we live in enlightened times. 
to a degree compared to how they were in the 80s 70s 60s you can watch old stuff and you can be offended because it really does fly in the face of so many things but it's contextual isn't it mm. i remember seeing there was a clip i saw of the rat pack and there was the joke that was made where one of the guys was holding sammy davis jr and he made a a, a, a pretty racial joke but at the same time, it didn't feel wrong because it was friends goofing about amongst each other. Yeah. So it didn't feel hate. It didn't feel hate filled. I didn't feel earnest. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's without question whether you say something with hate and honesty in your heart, whether that flies over or not, for sure. And if you're watching a movie from the 50s, particularly a British movie, it's going to be very patriotic. It will still be very much invested in the idea of empire. It might well f fly in the face of contemporary notions of equality. It's just that was the time. Yeah. It reflect. You can't. You can't wash that away. In fact, that's a bad thing to do. You actually need this material out there where they will use certain phrases and certain words because that was the prevailing mindset of the time and to deny that is actually doing people a disservice. Yeah, I've noticed watching old Monty Python stuff, you'll see little things that these days you would go, oh no, you can't say that. But yeah. the context of the time, it's sort of like, well, that's how it was. You can't just wipe it away, it just was. Well, yeah, I mean... Mrs. Yeti Goose Creature will say some very off-colour things sometimes about how she doesn't like certain sections of society, but then that would have been the prevailing attitude of that particular social economic group at the time. Yeah. Not that it's okay, it's just a part of history. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. And I don't like it when modern sensibilities, you know, this goes into this whole issue, which is a side issue that we're not going to tackle about taking down statues. Hmm. I think it's, you know, it's more nuanced than we should use our brains. Yes. Not necessarily just our feelings. Yes. 100% agreed. Yes. The future is co-op. Or is it? That's what EA would have you believe. What happened this week? Um, Visceral Studios got shuttered which was a bummer because they were a good creative little studio but this is what seems to happen when these little independent small developers get assimilated by big companies like EA. Visceral were developing I believe a Star Wars based RPG and it, one of the reasons it got canned is because EA are of the opinion that the future is not single player games but it's adding co-op to everything that's where the action is according to them and i'm not sure that that is the case i will argue that co-op brings an interesting dimension to some games and i've actually been quite surprised for example in sniper elite playing through on co-op radically different from playing single player but i don't believe it's the cure of all ills and I'm not necessarily sure that just because EA say this, that this is the a, a nail in the coffin of the single-player game. What do you guys think? I have opinions. When it comes down to this subject, I don't think it's as cut and dry as people don't want single-player games anymore. I think people very much do want single-player games, but they are not 
as lucrative as co-op games where they can stick in as many loot boxes and DLC packs and cosmetic items for you to go and buy in the store um, because then you get this algorithm matching you with the right people so you can see exactly what you need to go and buy um, because oh they're doing really well but you don't have that so you go and buy it you can't do that in a single player game yeah, I don't I I don't know who gave uh EA their data, but they are bad at their job. I I really don't see where single player games are dying on the vine with as many single player games of AAA and other varieties as come out. Uh there's certainly space for both types of games. I really like a lot of co-op games, uh, but at the same time, there is some of the biggest, one of the most exciting games to come out more recently is Mario Odyssey. People are th delighted as hell to see a new Mario game, and guess what? They ain't got no co-op in it whatsoever. Yeah. And Zelda Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn. Breath of the Wild has gotten, I mean, it's incredible how people latched on to something like yeah. that. You've got a Horizon Zero Dawn. You've got so many examples of brilliant single-player games of the AAA variety and otherwise that it just doesn't, it doesn't make any damn bit of sense. Doom, uh, I, the, the, what, the new Doom, I don't care about its multiplayer and I... Pretty sure nobody else does either, but that game was incredible because its single-player experience was so much fun. Wolfenstein 1 and Upcoming 2, those are games that would, by one's assumption, be brilliant in a deathmatch or a co-op or a multiplayer something or other, but they're not. They're single-player experiences. As much as I would love to see a Skyrim MMO, like a proper Skyrim MMORPG, I think Skyrim is a lot more interesting when you're doing things by yourself and also when you mod the hell out of it. Yeah. It's just not something that EA is paying attention to. Someone somewhere told them that co-op is the way and... That's not the case. I absolutely agree that they're trying to find a way to weasel as much money as possible, and that is a hell of a lot more difficult in a single-player game. Having co-op in a game just gives that thing. I don't think it's necessarily somebody told them that co-op is the way forward. I think somebody told them, hey, if you don't have co-op, you can't make anywhere near as much money as if you do. So get rid of all your single-player games, because the only people playing them are the people that are just going to go and download free mods anyway, because we all know how much paid mod systems work, looking at Bethesda and Skyrim, for example. Oh, I think this is very much just EA looking at the whole universe through their bespoke telescope, and I think it plays more to the actual franchises and IPs that they own. I, I, I yeah. don't think there's necessarily going to be lots of other companies that are going to say, oh, yeah, we're totally with you on this one. You've got Star Wars Battlefront, which came out a couple of years ago, which was designed from the get-go to be purely co-op, and it didn't even have a campaign in it. Now, that's something that they've addressed in Battlefront 2 that gets released shortly. And you think, well, does that not in the in itself fly in the face of what you're espousing here because you're saying co-op's the way to go but you've already capitulated and stuck in a campaign mode into your game if so, anything honestly it seems like companies who 
go against what EA are saying. If they double down on the single player stuff, that would probably get them more attention and money than following EA's uh, EA's path, that's for sure. There was an article on Massively recently, and I then wrote a blog post in sort of response to that, in which I talked about co-op. Co-op can bring a lot of things to to a game. I played Sniper Elite 4. It was great taking things slowly, planning your shot, moving around the actual terrain, sometimes taking 10, 15 minutes between shots. It's the complete opposite of Call of Duty battlefield culture where it's just so hectic. However, when I played that game collaboratively in co-op mode where one of us was spotting and one of us was actually shooting, it did bring something very different to that game. Again, it hinged on who you got grouped with. If you got grouped with someone who was an impatient imbecile, who, who basically did their spotting with a bag over their head, <laughs> uh, it proved to be quite a tedious experience. But for every bad experience, there was a good experience. So uh, that was one example where I thought co-op actually really massively, I won't say improved the game, but it added an extra tier to it. But I can't see co-op doing that to everything. As you said, a franchise like Mario, do you really need it? No. Yeah, I can't, For to that point, I can't imagine playing Destiny as a single-player RPG. Uh, Destiny 2 has an okay enough story, and, you know, the individual instances are fine, but what I love about Destiny is the open-world maps, doing the world events and and the strikes and stuff like that. The, the co-op stuff is great fun especially because it's so buttery easy you just have to stand near each other and everybody is together it it doesn't need anything more than that but but that's because it was purpose built to to support something like that it's built in a way to make a co-op game enjoyable it's it's it doesn't need to have it shoehorned in it's not a bullet point or or uh, or a check mark on a box in the back of the freaking packaging yeah, and you've also got the upcoming game from whatever's left of Bioware Anthem, which is being also marketed in that same vein, where it's designed to be a multiplayer game. Not necessarily an MMO, but it's, it's good enough it's an MMO, let's face it. But it's still got the whole multiplayer thing, and I think if you're going to make a multiplayer game, it really needs to be in that kind of situation where it's designed from the get-go to be that, and not just, here's single-player, here's co-op, please buy our loot boxes. Something else that I've noticed recently is there's been a couple of games that have had quite a lot of attention that have a co-op mode, but it's local co-op. It's not internet co-op, so you play with people who just happen to be sitting in the same room as you. Eon Alter was one of those, um, which is a game that I played with my son during its um, beta testing. Found it very, very, very enjoyable, a fun experience. Um, also, I believe Cuphead has, um, it's just local co-op, isn't it, rather than online co-op? Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, overcooked as well. And, and I'm just wondering if, if that is a thing or if that's just something which is a mistake. I actually think building in not internet play you play with people who are actually in your lounge and designing a game specifically for that social aspect i actually find that quite refreshing because usually when i auto group it's a lottery whether you're going to get someone who's cool or whether you get someone who's got major head trauma 
Yeah. It also harkens back to, once again, the good old days where that's all you had because there were no internet connections. Yeah. That's what I like about Cuphead because it immediately mentally brought me back to my days of playing Contra with my brother. Uh, so it was couch co-op. I can't imagine playing a game like Cuphead over VOIP with any sort of delay whatsoever. Like, you have to yeah. react and coordinate and move together as a unit. And there's just some thing, games, experiences that on no amount of online connection is going to replicate that. A game like Overcooked is another example. But the amount of coordination and 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 talking ha that has to happen in a game like that is so astonishing. It would sound like you're trying to speak through a dubstep concert if you were <laughs> trying to do it online. It would just be absolutely miserable. I can't imagine games like that where it would it would be improved by an online experience. Yeah, Nintendo is doing an awful lot in that um, sort of area. I have had so much fun when I've sat down with with our Switch and just played Mario Kart with uh, my husband. And exactly. No... But at the same yeah. time, there's games from Nintendo that are that convey themselves well without requiring communication. Splatoon 2 is always going to be my gold standard for online shooters because the conveyance in that game is so brilliant. You don't need to necessarily coordinate. You don't really need voice over IP. You know the objectives, you know what you got to do, it's really cut and dry, and you get to go in there and play. Mm -hmm. The opposite of Overwatch. <laughs> exactly, the opposite of Overwatch, precisely. It's literally, <laughs> Overwatch, everybody is like glorifying the, the, the praise and the beauty and bounty of Overwatch, and I'm here with Splatoon 2, it's like, this is how you convey an online shooter, guys. Yeah. This is how you do it. And then you get developers of the game saying oh we can't handle the community anymore it's too toxic and it's like well um perhaps there's something to that maybe there's a reason for that yes um which is the point that i've been considering why does every game have to be sort of refracted through the prism of competitiveness shall we say because it's yes. it's easy it's easy to yeah. develop it, you don't have to have a lot of time and resources you don't need to come up with a world or a story now blizzard in overwatch they have gone the extra mile in fleshing out their world through other means through different media through their shorts yeah. and and yeah. their comics and stuff like that through books but they didn't need to technically they had no business doing it the game would do just fine without all that extra fluff that's why people are looking at competitive games like like Overwatch or like Battle Royale games or, or sandbox, survival sandbox titles or MOBAs, thank God, that bubble is starting to shrink at long last. It's, it's just so much easier to create a, a, a box for people to derp around in as opposed to creating an experience. Yeah, you've also got the esports scene because if you've got a competitive game that people are really good at, they've really honed their skills, they've played it a lot, they know what they're doing, and then hundreds of people are like, oh, this is fun, I like watching this because I'm rubbish at this and I can enjoy it. And that I can understand that, it's not my thing, but you get, with the success of like Dota 2 and League of Legends and uh, CSGO and things like that, um, 
you get so many different companies that are trying to once again take a slice of that cake which is why you had the MOBA boom in the first place and now you're getting so many overwatches and um, PUBGs and things like that it is very much like that competitiveness in co-op games is a bit like cheap nuclear electricity the byproduct is waste the byproduct in the game is a toxic community yeah and just Absolutely. hoping Without that question. it yeah. works out and i just wish that there would be some attempt to try and bring people together to play competitively but instead of just well bring people together to play in a group activity without the the, the 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 need to put it in terms of it's you against me you have to do this 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 to get the better of me it, 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 if you could come up with something more creative i'm sure it would be a far more enjoyable experience i'm gonna bring up splatoon 2 again this is yeah. where it excels this is br okay from the start everything in splatoon's world is a early 90s neon colored pastiche of cheese and it is so wonderful it's fun it's freewheeling it's goofball it's about style and 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 you know looking for fun it's it's it, it nothing about the com game even though it is a competitive game and is on an esports level nothing about it strikes those competitive notes it it feels like a contest as opposed to an absolute like like a, an, a, a gladiatorial event it, it's it's it feels like a a pickup game of basketball as opposed to an nba yeah i also saw somebody <laughs> say recently that the trouble with a competitive game is to have people winning at the competition you've also got to have people losing and if you're spending your free time playing a game you don't want to lose and that's where the toxicity comes from the other thing I, I want to sort of point out is you've you've got this sort of bleed through now crossover. So co-op is sort of slightly encroaching on the on the territory of MMOs, and MMOs are slightly encroaching on the territory of co-op games. But they're not the same things. Mm -hmm. the, the, the MMOs are couched far more in communities building around the game, the persistent world affectation and everything that that brings with it where co-op is just the convenience of having someone else jump into your team to stick a, a meat cleaver up someone's bum on the opposing, <laughs> opposing side and you know and, and the job's done as it were it, one is a necessity to make a game and the other is a convenience that embellishes the game yeah mmos are supposed to be a uh, a shared world that's what they are you're wandering a world, exploring it, all the little stories and things, with other people. Whereas co-op is, as you say, I don't need to go any further on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't mind that MMOs or co-op games are experiencing or touching on the grey areas. A game like Destiny 2, I get plenty of people who rage at the walls and rafters about how you shouldn't call this an MMO! Why? And it's just... <laughs> it's... it's not, Okay, yeah, I get it. It's not a massive world. It's not a gigantic shared universe. But 
the elements are still there. There's still a level of greater cooperation and a sense of community. I mean, I don't... And this is coming from somebody who generally plays most things solo overall in MMOs. I like the feeling of busyness. I like being in that sort of digital urban setting where things are happening yeah. and I could join in on... It's, it's like being in the middle of a street vendor. Or it's like being in the middle of a... Uh, a fair or or surrounded by street vendors and stuff like that you like i like that buzz even yeah. though it's not a huge universe it doesn't have to be i i would i prefer that mmos and co-op games kind of have that bleed through to a certain degree it's just that you have to again you have to build for it you have to design your game around making that experience the point as opposed to a bullet point Yes, exactly. I agree. But I also like single-player games. Yes. Oh, I do too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, absolutely. <laughs> I like the fact that I can play Sniper Elite 4 where I sit on the other side of the map and I've got my telescopic sight of my rifle at maximum zoom and I'm looking at these dots and I'm I'm being such a sad git. I'm saying, okay, let's see how long it takes for that guard to walk to one end of the railway viaduct and back. And I'm I'm literally writing stuff down so I can work out when's the best time to shoot the people at opposite ends of the track and it won't alert them. I just love the fact that you know you'd never be able to do that in COD because if you stand still and haven't fired for two seconds, you've got some embryo telling you that you're a douche and that you should burn in perdition's flame. And, you know, I don't well, need that, that. Again, that's because the game is built around that sort of experience. I would never... I, I love games like Farming Simulator 17 and Euro Truck Simulator 2. There, there's multiplayer yeah. in Farming Simulator. I would never... Ne I would never... I would never play a game like that co-op it's just because it's just a bullet point it's something they slapped on because why not as far as i can guess but a game like sniper elite where you're sitting there charting out the paths of every single little individual guard it's that's that's because that's a perfectly valid and wonderful and designed point of that game I would never be able to think about playing a game like Dishonored with another person because you'd have some numpty, you know, flash jumping around and stabbing every idiot as of when you're trying to be stealthy. It's just uh, the Borderlands games. That's another game that had drop-in, drop-out co-op. I freaking hated my time with drop-in, drop-out co-op on those games. I had way more fun enjoying the story and the universe and the goofiness and the shooting of Borderlands by myself because that felt designed for that experience. Yeah, and then you've got games like uh, The Witcher and, well, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, where the whole game is designed around this specific character, and multiplier just wouldn't really work with that. Um, but to go back to Roger's point, my preferred method of playing a game is to wander around, try and work out what's where, get distracted, go and look at Twitter for a while, wander off to have a wee, come back, start looking for the nearest tavern, forget what I'm doing, and that doesn't really work very well when you're playing with other people, so... <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a... In a nutshell, why it's not essential to have co-op on everything. 
It's not. It's real. I totally agree. It's not. It's not yeah. necessary. I like that things are meshing together, but but you have to kind of make it a part of the game's design to begin with. It's yes. it's it's not that you don't need to have multiplayer. I could have lived my entire life playing games like GoldenEye 64 without needing to play the multiplayer part. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm looking through a bundle of keys that I have, and I bought this bundle a long time ago, and this one's still sitting there. Warehouse and Logistics Simulator. Hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm just thinking to myself, what could co-op bring to this? And envisage this. I'm actually not that well coordinated with certain types of games. And I imagine myself spending 20 minutes trying to line up a forklift truck to lift a pallet of, <laughs> of, you know, a pallet of soda or something. And the only thing that I can think of that co-op would bring to that would be my supervisor would turn up and say, you should have done this 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then over there. And then you're just sat there going, wait a second, isn't this meant to be a game? Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's so satisfying though when you play those games and you're just like, right, line this up and line this up. <laughs> but nobody else finds it entertaining, I'm sure. It doesn't make for good streaming. I believe me, I was doing GTA 5 the other day and there was that spit in GTA 5 when you go down to the docks and you have to use this big crane to lift up containers. And I was phenomenally shit at it, you know. <laughs> and it it took me ages to line things up and lift them up and then drop them down. And you know, if this had been sort of a co-op game, I would have had other people weeping into the microphones <laughs> at my ineptitude, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I'm it, sorry, uh, that, <laughs> The stream experience that I have in Farming Simulator 17 is almost always a comedy of errors. I, I um. <laughs> I spent at least an hour trying to work out how to mix cow feed properly. <laughs> I <laughs> it was involving a machine, the materials, where my materials were. Is this the right material? Yes. Oh crap! No, it's not. Okay, maybe I need this tool. No, I don't need this tool. Wait, yes, I do. It was literally like an hour and a half of me trying to work out how to mix cow food, and I still didn't do it correctly. <laughs> but that's the difference between streaming and playing it with someone. If you're playing it with someone, they're thinking, "Hurry up!" But if someone, if you're yeah, streaming, exactly. it, just, you turn it into something. That'd be roaring at me like, "That's <laughs> not how you mix TMR, you idiot!" <laughs> what even is that? TMR, total mix ration. I was joking. <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> All I can say, in light of this very thorough and in-depth discussion, EA, if you're listening to this, we don't need co-op on everything. Think again. Yeah. Really and, don't. We really don't. And the more it's tacked on, the more we will avoid those particular games because they just end up feeling hollow and empty and like quick crash cash grabs. And that's not what gamers want. Just you. Wait and see, don't be impatient, just wait and see. Asquith was asked what was his policy. He said, wait and see. He said, wait and see. Right, 
That looks like a great place to wrap up this particular episode of Contains Moderate Peril. I'd like to thank both of my guests, Hannah and Chris, for joining me today. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having us. It's been fun. Had an awesome time, Roger. Thank you so much. You have been splendid guests. We have enjoyed your thoughts and opinions on the various subjects that we have discussed. If you my dear listeners, have enjoyed the Contains Moderate Peril podcast, please put £100 in used banknotes in a brown jiffy envelope and leave it behind the cistern in Charing Cross Station toilets. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, thanks very much indeed for listening, everyone. Your support is greatly appreciated. The Contains Moderate Peril podcast will be back in the immediate future not quite sure what the schedule is going to be at the moment i think it possibly is going to be sort of like a monthly turnaround but that remains to be seen anyway thanks to one and all ttfn missing you already you've been listening to contains moderate peril for more information visit contains moderate peril.com and follow us on twitter at moderate peril